Our next writer reader up is Kelly De La Rocha. I said that right, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> you might recognize Kelly De La Rocha's name by her byline in the Daily Gazette, but recently she embarked on a new adventure accepting position as communications specialist for Hunger Solutions NY Bayfield <coughs> Colony, an outdoors woman volunteer and poet. The Glenfo Rhythm and draws inspiration from every facet of her life. Her poems have been featured in multiple print and e-publications. Ladies and gentlemen, get it together for Kelly.
Praise the woman with the cornrows who wears the world on her shoulders, yet tells me with conviction that she is blessed. We all walk in hungry. We are all fed. This is another very short one that's a tribute to one of the patrons at the food pantry, simply entitled, Thank You. At the food pantry, I handed you a head of lettuce and the best of the bruised pears. You thanked me for my smile. I did a lot of volunteer work after Tropical Storm by Reen and Lee came through Rotterdam Junction and surrounding areas. I spent several months there helping the people to rebuild their lives, or at least start to rebuild their lives. And this poem called Calling is about the relationship that I developed with one woman who I helped there. You call me on the phone and tell me how much I mean to you after I've mucked out your basement, dumped river water from blue Rubbermaid tubs full of your dress boots, board games, candle holders. I can't help but be doubtful, since you just learned my name a month ago, have heard more of the screech of nails I've wrenched from your kitchen floor than you've heard my voice. Yes, I did retrieve from the dark and despair of what was once an orderly existence two unbroken Christmas ornaments, old, fragile, one half of river water that sloshed inside like reality sloshes for you now. You smiled and said, those were my nanas. Took them gently in your hands, went to put them someplace safe, knowing full well there was no place safe. The Mohawk River taught you that. You hugged me despite the river's mark on me, the mold, the stench, Self-conscious, I tell you, everything will be all right. The words bounce hollow off sodden walls, but you must have heard our intertwined arms tell each other, together we are stronger than the river. Or maybe not stronger, but at least a bridge. I am also very thankful for my heritage. I was lucky enough to have two Italian grandfathers who were both gardeners. Both left me legacies that were similar in a way. I have a poem for each of them. This is for my, my father's father, Domenico Terzini. It's called Immigrants. They're eight inches high in my garden now. Sturdy green shoots with skinny arms that reach up to follow, then decide they'd rather be underground again, and then. Two rows march across fertile soil. Beneath, garlic grows. How large so far, I don't know. A mystery, like the trip my grandfather took from Italy to America at age 14, the ancestors of my garlic shoots wrapped carefully in his bag. He grew those cloves of home a stone's throw from where my garden roots, aromatic memories of the old country to season Manast and Marinara. 
Now those immigrants stride so assuredly across my garden and lead me back to his crooked fence of random sticks and hoes, to his hunched form bending to weave, to Sunday dinners flavored pungently with a past he spoke of longingly in broken English. This is for my other grandfather, Tony Durazio, called Sorting Through. I sort through opaque film containers puffed in a cardboard box, seeds my dead grandfather collected over the years that once he was gone, nobody else wanted. And I think this is my inheritance, a batch of dried up seeds labeled with decrepit masking tape, Italian parsley, Ma's Myra hybrid tomatoes, marigold seeds from 1997. You might say it's a lousy inheritance. No cash in those canisters, can't sell them on eBay. And I can't help but face the fact that this guy really never liked me anyway. Preferred handshakes and back slaps, conversations with men. Would have liked these seeds claimed by one of his own gender. But here I am with this wealth of seeds, each with a different voice when I shake its container. I look more closely and realize whether he meant it or not, he left me patience along with them. The careful culling, drying, and labeling he did takes that. And he left me hope for the future, so sure there would be a garden each new spring. In those dusty canisters, he left me something worth holding onto in a genetically engineered world. Something simple, something timeless, something waiting to be coaxed to life. I'm thankful for all my relatives, and there are many of them here today, in the second and third rows. I, I do have poems for everybody, but I don't have time today. The one that really jumped out at me while I was looking through my stuff was one that I wrote for my dad, who's right there, raise your hand, <laughs> back in 2010. I grew up in the sun of your rambling joy, in love with the floppy green felt hat you wore, never creased into a tidy shape by the real world. You taught English to the kids in the next town, but lucky me, you taught me life in the woods where the rabbits hid and owls peered down from oak branches, in the streams where rainbow trout flashed and crayfish hid under rocks, in the pages of books where words became music, in the aisles of Kmart where shopping carts became a gleeful train. You are the reason I write, why I still dress up for Halloween, why I celebrate my birthday for an entire month, why I stopped to admire dandelions, and why I still smile at shopping carts. <laughs> Got just two more. I'm thankful for the beautiful, safe place that we live. I'm lucky enough to go home to a peaceful, dead-end road with 
nature all around me, and also an old red barn that's falling down that I love. And this I wrote for my barn. <laughs> red barn behind the garage, beard of Virginia creeper, now redder than the fading boards it climbs. The barn has gray in its hair, stoops like a, a swayback mule, its eyes dark, remembering the warmth of cattle, the scratch of chickens, the smell of hay. It listens to the skitter of mice, the drip, drip, drip of rain through holes in the roof. It sleeps a lot these days, raspberry brambles up to its knees, arthritic beams still strong, hand-hewn, they say, words you don't hear much anymore. Hand-hewn, hand-hewn. I can hear them whispered when I'm inside, breathing in the musty smell of time, mixed with the song of things not quite forgotten. Hand-hewn, and the percussion of birds And the last thing I'm thankful for today, anyway, is just every single day that, that I have for every new day. And this is something that I wrote pretty recently, just a silly little ode to morning. I love you because you smell like toast, are quiet, bright, and let the birds get a word in edgewise. I love the way you sneak up on night, push him gently out of the sky, but sometimes let the moon stay a while. I love the fleetingness of you, like Christmas, like youth. I can't wait for you to come back again after the forever of afternoon and the foot dragging of night, breathtaking in your tie-dye dress, red, pink, yellow, purple, with clouds at the Yards that defined us, 
the cut glass bowls that contained us. It was only later that the sacred chants, the velvet scrolls were forgotten. What once was sweet and rich as the garnet wine we sanctified thinned to a bittersweet brew. We still hear faint songs float to heaven. Remember dipping braided bread in wild honey and sage. Our ancestors' exhortation, door the Doric, generation to generation, a guilty secret tattooed on our wrists. We watch some born of our seed walk toward the horizon, welcome the freedom, the unclouded sky. I've been playing around with prose poems and putting on a different kind of voice than I usually write in. A dog is not a dog. He could be your Uncle Irving, who has come back to make sure you finish your master's thesis. <laughs> or Grandpa Charlie, who wants to know if you ever made enough money to buy decent clothes. <laughs> a dog is. Trevor is a whippet who can run like a deer, but happily watches reruns of I Love Lucy and eats popcorn for hours. He snuggles under the covers and burrows so low down to the end of the bed he can't breathe. I have to pull him up, gasping for air, lift his head from under the sheets and blankets. But it is to no avail. He begins his downward descent, coiling into the dark wool of my bed. A dog runs into the street, doing wind sprints, trying to fly on unseen wings. Leap though he can, he is no match for the SUV barreling down my street at 50 miles an hour, driven by my neighbor's 16-year-old son. Sometimes a dog isn't. Trevor looks up at me. How could you let me free in a dangerous world? And now I must wonder whether it is Trevor who comes to dinner when a long lost friend shows up unexpectedly and I decide to grill some strip steaks. <laughs> in a prior life, I used to practice law and was an appellate attorney. May it please the court, oye, 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 chants the court crier. All rise as seven judges robed in black, file into the majestic chamber. Row upon row of appellate advocates wait their turn. I am turned out in a black suit with a 40s flare, a nod to Lauren Bacall, dressed in black patent pumps, sheer black coats, an extra pair stuffed in my briefcase, just enough gold to glint Facts honed with a lathe, legal principles loaded like a spring gun. Only 15 minutes to present my client's case. Years of anger and anguish summarized in Times Roman font on recycled white paper bound by rules of court. Seven judges in black pound me with questions. I dodge, deflect, swing with white gloves. 
The red light blinks. Your time is up, counselor. Months later, the edict issued, precedent set, plaintiff and defendant pressed into law books like dried flowers. Um, a wonderful teacher and poet, Jill Hannafin, gave us a challenge about writing about gates or fences or doors. This was my meditation on that. Trembling on the threshold of Jerusalem, old city on even quarters, bound by ancient walls, your scarred gates bear witness. In winter that are cold, sows them shut. They shed stones in autumn. Dust shrouds them in the shimmering heat of summer. Ancient city, all your gates open, save the golden gate, sealed for centuries. To some, Baba Wachmed, gate of eternal life. To others, Sha'ar HaRachamim, gate of mercy. Both living and dead wait for the Messiah to enter through its portals. O Jerusalem, we have sealed the gate of mercy, refuse to grant each other amnesty. The Mount of Olives weeps, its womb barren. Jackals and hyenas howl on either side. We stand trembling at the threshold. All the while, the Messiah sleeps among us. I love my sons. I find them challenging. <laughs> and this is one such challenge. The Salt Wars, circa 2010. Trade groups were established, alliances built, empires secured, and revolutions provoked, all for something that fills the ocean and bubbles up from springs. Mark Kerlansky, Salt, A World History. We eye each other warily, no longer certain of the steps in this lifelong dance of mother and son. He brash, I bedeviled, in this covenant of salt. Salt, the latest skirmisher, rife with rocky deposits. Salt, preserver and provocateur. For my son Benishat, salt is the holy grail. Salting, a rite of sanctification. He creates crystalline castles with fleur de sel from Provence. Sprinkles holy bread with salt blackened in Hawaiian volcanoes coaxes the scarlet flesh of heirloom tomatoes to give up their souls for our pleasure, bathes turbo in brine until it bursts forth like the evening star. Unrefined eye season our food with worried grains in this salt's transcendence. When I take on Ben's salty challenge, I recall how we dip grains in salt to remember our ancestors' tears, I remember blessing my sons become the salt of the earth. Incurable. I have said the word a thousand times. Let its malignancy grow within me like a pregnancy that never ends. 
I wipe the expiration date off my forehead, though faint markings remain. I imagine celestial bodies capable of rebirthing themselves into new planets, but my body seems to prefer the comfort of the pock-marked moon. We reproduce ourselves anew every seven years, but my errant cells refuse to die chastely. They gang up in obscene numbers. My doctors intone incurable when they drone about walden strums and amyloid doses. <coughs> cells replicate with abandon, genes put together and split apart in endless variations. We are all incurable. If we welcome our misadventures, we get to travel far afield from the well-lit paths we thought were built for us. The Sea Keepers. It was the Sea Keepers who saved me, reminded me who I was, sang me back to life with ancient songs. Purified by rain, I grow fertile again. Firmly rooted in rich black loam, my heirloom seeds bear fruit. <laughs> and here's some of the fruit. Baptism for my grandsons. Immersed in a sea of bubbles, I rise, a believer. Named anew, a noni. No bubble I, but noni. After my beloved Aunt Gert, noni to her grandsons. Noni, Mason calls, and my heart balloons, festooned with chalky hands and sticky hugs. Explorers, we set off to rediscover the new world. Newborn Cameron fusses on my chest. His shallow breaths breathe new life into my bones. We like to think of predators, sexual predators, as not something connected to us, as evil that has nothing within us, but oftentimes the people who cause the same, the worst harm, are those who are closest to us. You don't understand. It's not enough to demonize him, even though he cast me as Lolita in his grimy movie, pierced my core, made my body the enemy. Though he hurt me, I still loved him. His fingerprints remain on my skin. He sat at the head of our table, bought me ice cream cones and new dresses. It's not enough to demonize him. It won't help me be safe in my skin. Instead, let us call in the wise women. Let us burn sweet grass, shed light, heal my wounds. One of the areas that I have an interest in from my childhood experience uh, is the terrible uh, sexual trade and child prostitution that is all too common around the world. One of the organizations I support is called ECPAT. It works throughout the world. And in addition to doing incredible work on social policy, it is on the street taking kids off the street. 
visits uh, based on a true story. Unholy commerce. The Khmer Rouge destroyed the fabric of Cambodian culture and left a legacy of poverty and too many people without moral compass. A ramshackle houseboat on a murky river in a dusty shanty town on the outskirts of Phnom Penh. The river overfished, only hunger flourishes. A pale peach, Toho's breasts have yet to ripen. At 10, she is a cling stone, not ready to be plucked, but her mother cannot wait. Her loans multiply, money men pick at her bones. Toho, her only tender, sold for $500 to be ripped and resown to satisfy insatiable hunger for untouched fruit. Another prose poem. It touches upon another issue that is, um, has altered, the, 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 I'll say, the um, nature of society. Um, so much progress has been made, but there's a lot to be done. A pas de toi on the number two downtown express in Manhattan. It starts as a solo. El Pavo prunes like a peacock, as if the steel gray subway was a stage. He wears neon green sequined stars in his eyes, same color as his t-shirt. His curly dark hair is slicked back, one eyebrow shaved in Morse code. He flaunts his charm like a 4th of July sparkler. He faces the window, turns around with a flourish, removes his earrings, drops them in the pocket of his black cargo shorts. El Pavo starts to prance, a mating dance. But who is his partner in this pas de deux? At first, the young black man in the hoodie doesn't seem to notice. He hides eyes closed. As El Pavo sings, he begins to awaken. A sleeping beauty caught in El Pavo's spell, but he holds back, hands in his pocket, as if this is not the first time El Pavo has seduced him after straying. El Pavo pulls him up in embrace. They lean against the subway door. The young man still sings. A heavy-set black man in Jamaican patois says, I don't want to see no homo show. El Pavo is silent. The young man in the hoodie takes center stage. Suddenly it is a pas de trois. Words drawn like weapons, blood in the air, until the conductor bellows, Wall Street. El Pavo and his lover jump off, still screaming at the Jamaican long after the number two train hurls down the track to the next station. I end with a poem that is based on a dream. It was before the latest terrorist attacks and the particular kind of xenophobia that we're seeing. But I think it has application. Exodus. They came quietly 
and making their presence known, liminal beings disowned by their past, banished from the future. One by one they lay down without making a sound, refugees worn to bone. I want to pretend I don't see them, ignore the intersection of our lives, but the vision lingers for days, reverberates through my waking hours. Borders unable to contain their suffering, they spill out into the world, challenge 